How's it going, everybody? Welcome to church on Sunday morning at the Bridge, Goldsboro. Right, that was like a quick whoop, and then everything just went away. That was almost rehearsed. Did you guys do that in the lobby before you came in here? I'm Pastor Ryan. I'm the lead pastor here at the Goldsboro campus for the Bridge. So glad to see all of you. Uh, we have a lot to be thankful for. It's Thanksgiving week, and we have a lot to be thankful for. Would you say that? Amen. It's the time of the year when diets begin to go away. And we just kind of open ourselves up for all kinds of cheating on how we eat because we know there's going to be some really good Thanksgiving food. And then not long after that, what comes next? Christmas. And it's not just on the 25th. You start having parties for Christmas on December 1st, and it goes right on through. So we begin to kind of do away with the diets. I actually uh, realized that the diets do come back, but they only come back in January. And that's when people start really trying to, to, to get their diet under control. And I, I heard a guy one New Year say, I'm actually going on two diets this year. I'm like, wow, that's pretty impressive. He said, yeah, I can't get enough to eat in just one of them. <laughs> so he's going to go on too. Um, so glad to have you here today. If you want to, you can follow along uh, either on the screens or if you are, have the Bible app, you can go to more, go to events, and then find the Bridge Goldsboro. But I also want to take a second to also plug the new Bridge app. Uh, you heard about it on the screens. So after this week, we'll be no longer using the Bible app as a means of uh, slides, but you can download the app and you can find the notes on there and follow along. And by the way, the Bible app is actually integrated into uh, the new Bridge app. So take a moment and do that um, whenever you get some time, and we're going to utilize the, the Bridge app. Um, so we have a lot to be thankful for, and we're talking about Thanksgiving, we're talking about giving thanks. But before we go any further, I want to introduce a concept to you um, that I like to call a thin thank you. A thin thank you. Has anybody ever given you something that you just didn't want? Come on, it's time to take your church face off right now and just really think about this for a minute. They give you something and it's just like you know this is completely useless and you're never going to use it, or this is never going to fit me, or this is not my style. Or, hey, I just, I'm not going to use. So, but we say thank you, don't we? We do, because we want to be nice. But the thank you is more of a gesture uh, or being thankful for the gesture of them giving. But you're really not thankful for the gift because, quite honestly, it stinks and you really don't want it. It's going to be something that you put away in a closet or a re-gift to somebody else. Um, so I like to call that a thin thank you. It's a thank you, but it's really a thank you for the gesture of them giving it to you, not, not for the gift itself. Because I'm not going to use it. There was a lady um, who used to attend a church that I served at many years ago, and every Christmas she'd get me a shirt, and it was from Belk or somewhere like that, and I remember getting this shirt, and, and it was different every year, and some of them were really neat, and I'd wear it, and some of them weren't, um, <laughs> but do you know when she was the most joy-filled? Do you know when, when she really understood that I was thankful for the gift itself? It wasn't when I said thank you when she gave it to me. It was when I wore it. It was when I utilized and optimized and, and took part in, whatever word you want to put there, the gift that she gave. So she would give it to me. I would say thank you. But she was the most joy. She understood that I, I really enjoyed it and wanted it and was thankful for it when she actually saw me wear the gift. So a thin thank you, we can easily give to God because he's given us so much. One of the greatest gifts he's ever given us is family, 
And we can so easily give God a thin thank you by saying we're thankful that we have our family, but we're actually not doing anything to optimize it. We're not doing anything to make our families healthy. We're not doing anything in and of the context of our family to actually show him that, that we are truly thankful because we're taking care of it. Am I the only one that, that maybe thinks that we could probably use a little work? That just got heavy real fast, didn't it? Did you just feel that? So God gives us this amazing gift of our family, and I think it's probably the most amazing gift that we could actually have. And, and I just, I don't want to look at God and give him this thin thank you and say, thank you for the family that I have, but I'm never going to do anything to actually make it healthy. And did you know that we have lots of different ideas about what family is because it's introduced to us through social media and TV and movies and all kinds of other things? And, but family was actually God's idea in the beginning. And this is what the owner's manual says. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, we're going to read a, a couple more scriptures there. But it says, the Lord God said, and this is, this is at the beginning, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, we could say that Adam wasn't alone. He had God, right? But that's not what God was talking about. He could have given Adam anything he ever wanted or needed. But God decided that he was going to give Adam that part of himself through a woman. And so he says, I'm going to make a helper that's just right for him. And so he presented himself to the woman and the man through the vein of one another. And isn't that amazing? So with that principle right there, God made the family. Listen to what he says, verse 21. He says, so the Lord God caused Adam, the man, to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib that he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And that is why, verse 24, that is why... A man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And right there, we have the first family. And whether you're married or whether you're single, everybody understands that we need people, that we need people in our lives. And God designed the family to meet that need. Now, I understand that for some of us in a room this size and this many people, that, that sometimes we have negative feelings when it comes to the family. And sometimes for, for some of us, family is just kind of an economic necessity. We, we eat there. We, we shower there. Um, it's, for some of us, family brings up pain. Some of us, family, the word itself, when we think about our families, it brings up painful memories. But I want to tell you, God designed the family to be so much more than that, regardless of what the past looks like. And, and God says, if you'll listen to me, he says, and if you'll obey what I say about the family, he says, I will make up the difference in your life. And not only that, but he says, I will bless your, bless your family generations down the line. Isn't that amazing that God not only decides to bless us when we obey, but he says, you set yourself up to receive my blessings. And it actually goes down from generation to generation in your family. And it doesn't matter how many generations of dysfunction there was in your family. The, the, God says, he says, I'll start with you right with you. So if you're here today and, and you may feel that dysfunction from generations past, I want you to know right now, if you'll turn to God and believe what he says about the family, he says that I'll start with you and I'll begin blessing your family and I'll, be, I'll begin blessing your children and their children. Does that sound good? That sounds like something I, I want to I talk about. I want to I listen to. I want to adhere to. So we're going to take a few minutes today, and we're going to talk about what it is to set ourselves up, set our homes up, set our family environments up to receive God's blessings and make our family as healthy as can be so that when we look at God and say, thank you for our family, it's not a thin thank you. But we're actually giving thanks because we're utilizing our family. Does that sound okay? 
So we're going to talk about four roles that God intended the family to fill. And I'm just going to say all four of them, and then, then we'll dig in. The first one is a shelter from the storms of life. That's what he intended your family to be, a shelter from the storms of life. Secondly, a learning center for life. Thirdly, a place to play. I love that one. And a launch pad for service. So we're going we're gonna to dig in. Number one, make a home a shelter from the storms. That's what God intended you to, your home to be, your family to be. Storms of life hit hard sometimes, don't they? We all face them. And it doesn't matter if you think you're good or it doesn't matter if you think you're bad. We all face hard times. And we need an umbrella to shelter us from that. We got to have it. And God intended the family to be the stable covering when we go through these storms. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26 says, In the fear of the Lord, there is a strong confidence, and his children will have a place of refuge. When you have a God-honoring family, it becomes a place of safety. When you have a God-honoring family, it becomes a refuge from the storms of life. And there's many storms in life. And I could sit here today and talk about all the storms of life that we face. And so many of you, if we went around the room and kind of give you the microphone and talked about your particular storm of things you faced or things you're facing now, we'd find out there's so many different varieties. But a couple of them, and I'm just going to kind of group them together, a couple of them is change. When we face change in life, it can very easily become a storm, a place of uncertainty, uh, whether it's stages of life, moving through the stages of life, or maybe it's graduation. Maybe you're graduating high school and you have no idea what you're going to do, or you're graduating college and you're like, I have you know, maybe some debt with some student loans or, and I don't have a job yet, and, and there's just this sense of storm in your life, or maybe you have a job change. Your job begins to shift, and what seems stable underneath you is now kind of, kind of shaky. It's a storm of life. It could be a little bit deeper than that. It could be something like a divorce, or it could be a death in the family. Um, change is hard, and in the midst of that, we need a place that we can go to find strength and support. And what I found is, is it doesn't matter where the house is, we know where the shelter is. It doesn't matter where the house is, where your your, your physical family live, if that's not a shelter from the storm, typically we'll find it somewhere else. We'll find it through friends. We'll find it through maybe other family. But God said that when, when a man and woman leave, that they, they cleave to one another. That's supposed to be the family. That's supposed to be the shelter from the storm. But in our human self, we know where the house is, but we also know where the shelter is. And I just want to tell you today, make, make your home that shelter. Make your home that place. Another storm that we face in life is failure. Anyone ever failed in here? You don't have to raise your hand, but I can tell by the eyebrows going up that the answer is yes. <laughs> we fail. People in our family fail. And Ronald Reagan said, don't ever hire somebody who hasn't failed. Why? Because when we fail, that's where we set ourselves up to learn. The bad part is, is when we fail and we don't learn anything from it. But when we fail, we, we, we can learn from that. And as often as we experience failure, failure hurts. I mean, you think we, we do it enough, we probably learn to just kind of coast over it. But it still hurts every time. And we, we have to have a shelter from that. But here's the truth. No matter how many times someone fails us or we fail and, and we face that storm, it's always good to know and we can get through it knowing that we can, we're going home to hugs. That we're going home to people that understand us. That we're going home to people that aren't going to criticize us or judge us, but that they're going to receive us with open arms. And there's going to be kids there that just think we're heroes, moms and dads or grandparents or aunts and uncles. That's why Solomon wrote this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. He said, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. And if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. 
But somebody who falls alone, they're in real trouble. Don't wait for a crisis to show up in your family in order to try to communicate that your home is a shelter. Go ahead and start loving on one another. Go ahead and start communicating that, you know what, I'm here for you, and I know you're here for me. Go ahead and start telling one another that you're not going anywhere. Go ahead and start communicating that I've got your back, that I love you, and start doing it through the small acts. And that way, when the crisis comes, there's no doubt where the shelter is. So I want you just to say in your heart or out loud, I want to make my home a shelter from the storms. Number two, make home a learning center for life. Make home a learning center for life. Did you know that God designed the home to be the primary place where we learn? The, the primary place, I mean, we learn from lots of different places, but the home is the place that we learn the fundamentals, right? We learn how to walk. We learn how to speak. We learn good hygiene. I guess sometimes. I guess some of us need to go back home, right? But all the basic skills in life are learned there. Solomon said it like this in Psalm 144. He says, let our sons in their youth grow like strong trees and let our daughters be like the decorated stones in the temple. You ever told your kid that? (laughs) It sounds kind of funny. Uh, But at the time when the Bible was written, it's a very poetic way to say that strength and beauty are intended to be learned at home. We, we learn these things at home. That's why God tells us in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 6. He, he's speaking to fathers here. He says, fathers, don't exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the training. Say training. That was half of you. Training. Training and instruction of the Lord. It's about knowing how to train without frustrating them to the point of exhaustion. It's about knowing how to get the best out of them in a loving way to train them up. Because here's what I think. I think a lot of us have the potential as parents and caregivers to provide for our kids. Like we get the food on the table, we get the shelter, we get the electric bill paid. But we, we, sometimes we don't do such a great job at training them up. And we, we can kind of put those two together and they're not. We can provide and be horrible trainers. We can give them the things they need to survive, but yet never train them up in spiritual guidance, never train them up on how to act, never train them up with love and admiration. Can you imagine going to a new job and they give you your uniform, if you have a uniform, and they give you all the materials, they give you the the paperwork, and then they leave you alone and they never give you the first day of training? Say, well, you have what you need. That would be crazy. Like, we would never survive that way. And sometimes I think we come home and we expect our kids to. And he says, train them up. Train them up. I think that's very important that we do that. And and I think the reason why sometimes we don't is because it's hard. (laughs) That's just it. It's difficult. Sometimes we don't always know what to do, and so we just shut ourselves off. But God says, look, if if you lack wisdom, then come to me and ask for it. He said, and I'll give it. I'll give it abundantly. So we need wisdom. And we need to go to God and say, God, help me. But we need to be training up our kids because home has to be a learning center for life. And when we do that, we show, God, we're not giving you the thin thank you. We're really trying to raise our kids and train them up. Jesus, we even know that he wasn't just provided for. In in Luke 2, 52, it says this. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in stature. He grew in favor with God and men. And with that one verse right there, we get that that's the one verse we have from the time he was 12 to the time he was 30, whenever he came on the public scene. But it says he grew. Somebody was doing something besides just feeding the boy and giving him a place to live. 
It says that he grew in wisdom. That means he had a belief system. He had values that were instilled to him. It says that he grew in stature. That means he grew physically. It says that he grew in favor with God. That means he grew spiritually. It says that he grew in favor with man. That means he grew socially. That means somebody taught Jesus how to act in public. <laughs> somebody needs to teach their own kid how to act in public. You know what I mean? No laughs. I guess everyone here has it down pat. But we all get to the place sometimes as parents where we're like, I can't believe you're doing this now after everything I taught you at home. You know what I mean? But the, aren't those the four things that for every family that are kind of goals? We want our kids to grow up in, in wisdom and, in, and uh, we want them to grow physically and spiritually. We want them to grow socially. Here's what I've noticed is whether you're nailing that and whether you're doing a good job or a bad job, uh, our families will learn something about that, good or bad. They'll learn bad values, or they'll learn how not to act, or they'll learn, you know, how to go the opposite way when it comes to their morals and, and their spiritual nature. Um, so we're teaching our kids one way or the other. The question is, is what do you want them to leave home with? How, how are you raising them? How are you training them up? And I just got to tell you, maybe, maybe you're here today and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm failing at this, or I've done a bad job and my kids are adults. Let me tell you, if you're a parent or have influence in the life of, of, of an adult child or a young child, you never stop having influence in their life, ever, ever. And maybe you're here today and you're saying, I can't, you know, unlearn some of that, maybe as an adult child. Let me tell you, if you're sucking in air right now, then God's not done with you on this planet. And you have potential. You have areas you can grow in your life. If God had done everything he was going to do with you and for you right now, then guess what? You wouldn't be here. You'd be gone. But if you're breathing air right now, God's got a purpose for your life, and he's got a pace for your life that he wants you to grow in. And don't, don't sit here today and say, I can't grow anymore. I can't do anything else. I'm just a product of my environment. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what the God who made you says. God says, I love you. And he says, you, you may have had a bad upbringing. You may have had a horrible experience of dysfunction growing up. He says, but I've, I can take you right where you're at, and I can pour love on you and surround you with, with a family. Somebody needs to say amen to that. Amen. What would it be like if we dedicated ourselves to training our kids up in the Lord and training our kids up with our words and with our actions? My prayer is, you know, let it be said of all the families at the bridge, the same thing Isaiah declared in Isaiah 38 when he said, Lord, each generation tells of your faithfulness to the next. Each generation does it from generation to generation. Why? Because there were parents who instilled something in their kids. So when their kids got older, they had something to instill in their kids. And it just went on and on like that. And you think about it like a relay race. Have you ever seen a relay race and they have the baton and they're reaching to pass it and they pass it off well? And that transition takes place, and then the next runner takes off. Success. But what, have you ever seen a relay race where, like, the guy's running and he doesn't have the baton? <laughs> He's, you're like, hey, idiot. You know, you're missing something here, right? You absolutely have nothing to pass. Well, can I just say sometimes that's what we look like because we're providing, but we're not training. My encouragement to you is make your home a learning center for life. This is how God says do it. And maybe you're wondering how I do that. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6 says this. He says, these commandments I give you today are to be upon your hearts. 
Listen to what he says to do with them. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your heads and bind them on your foreheads. He's saying don't leave home without them. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. He's saying that wherever you are at home, whatever you do, he's saying talk about the goodness of God. Talk about the values that you want to instill in your kids. And I just need to say this. Don't just assume that the church service is going to give your kids everything they need. Did you know that your, your kids are only in church service for maybe an hour or two a week? And there's 168 hours in a week? That means 166, 167 hours, they're getting something else. And we can't expect the church service to be the only thing that our kids get when it comes to values, when it comes to Christian values or, or biblical values. And one of the things that we do for parents is we, we give access to this app, and it's called ParentQ. And this is just a, a, maybe you're not a theologian. Guess what? You don't have to be. Maybe you're, you've just become a Christian and you're, you're a little bit lost in terms of what to say to your kids. Well, guess what? We have a, an app called ParentQ, and you can download it. And what it gives you access, you put in some information about your kids, and it gives you immediate access to what they're learning in the classes right here at the bridge. You can watch the same videos. It gives you things to say, things to think about. It tells you uh, how far along your kids are in terms of age, how many weeks. They're. Then it tells you how many weeks until graduation for your particular child. And it gives you specific information about what they're going through in life. And then if you click on a settings uh, place where there's, it says blog, it gives you so many articles, so many blogs, so many podcasts of how to be a better um, translator of the information of the values that you want to pour into your kids. Because let's face it, sometimes we really stink at it. Sometimes we know what we want to say, but we have no idea how to communicate it. Am I the only one? Parent Q, we offer that to you. And I just want to ask, you to ask yourself today, what, what values am I teaching my kid? Whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether it's intentional or whether it's unintentional. Because they're learning stuff. They're learning stuff about money from you. They're learning stuff about sex from you, character, honesty, hard work. They're learning things about the importance of family. And guess what? They're learning it everywhere else too. And what I want to tell you is you want your kids to already have a godly opinion about these things before they start hearing them from other people. You want to go ahead and set those boundaries in place so that when they get, because let me tell you, you're not sheltering your kids. They're going to hear it. Homeschool them. I don't care. They're still going to hear it. Send them to a private school. I, sometimes I think private schools, um, they get more information about things at private schools than, than they do public schools sometimes. Um, go ahead and teach your kids these values. Have I made the point? All right. I got to provide a home that's a shelter from the storms. When I do, I demonstrate love. I'm, I'm going to provide a learning center for life in my home. That's where I teach values for living. Thirdly, make your home a place to play. Make your home a place to play. My kids love this. Did you know that in the Bible it teaches us that we're supposed to enjoy life with our families? Did you know that it teaches that the home should be a place where we can play? I love the verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 9 where it says, enjoy. Say enjoy. Some of us don't know how to enjoy. We think we should always be these drill instructors all the time. But it says enjoy life with your wife whom you love. It doesn't say put up with. Some of us are just trying to survive. Let's just be honest. It doesn't say survive it. It says enjoy. We should be finding ways to enjoy our family. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 18 says, Be happy with the wife you married when you were young. It, we, we should be enjoying our homes because of this willingness to let our guard down and play. But here's where we get hung up. 
We, we have the learning part down. Where we want to tell them everything to do, but we miss the play part. And again, I think sometimes we end up being more drill instructors uh, than we do anything else. And then we wonder why the kids don't want to visit when they grow up. Because all they got was, was kind of, uh, you know, drill instructor mentality. And I just got to say, sometimes I think I'm a drill instructor. You should be at my house in the mornings when I have to get four kids to school. And the oldest one's 14, the youngest one's seven. And sometimes I'm, I'm just like air traffic controller. I'm like, you, go brush your teeth. You, go put your clothes on. Don't brush your teeth at the same time as him because you'll never get anything done. You, quit hitting him. You, go, go, uh, go eat breakfast. You, stop doing that. Are you really playing the Xbox? Seriously? We have 10 minutes till we have to leave. And I'm like, bam, bam, bam. And we're just hitting them. And I'm like drill instructor. And we get in the car or, or the truck, and I've got my cup of coffee because I never leave home without it. Somebody said... Thank you, Jesus. That was the biggest amen I got. Maybe, maybe I should just do a whole sermon on coffee drinking. Everybody would be right up. But I get in the truck. I've got my coffee, and I've been drill instructor all morning, and I just, I'm like, guys, we need to pray, <laughs> you know? And I'm, I just try to, get, try to gauge back in. But sometimes I am that. But guess what? That's not all I am. And that's not all you have to be either. We jump on the trampoline together. Well, them mostly. Sometimes I do because I don't want to break anything, specifically my bones. But we do it together, and one of the things we love to do is play a game called Dog Pound. You probably have never heard of it because we made it up. And that's when I get on all fours in the middle of the trampoline, and I bark like a dog, and they jump around laughing, and I try to knock one of them over. Sometimes, most of the time, they, they end up being all right. I'm just kidding. I knock one of them over, and the one I knock over, they become a dog, and then they're in the dog pound, and then we try to go after the other ones, and then the last one's standing, they get to be the dog on the next round. They love that. I'm good normally for about three rounds before I feel like I'm going to throw up, and then I have to get off and go back inside. Um, One of my favorite uh, things that my youngest son does, he's seven, and I never see it coming. I'll be in the kitchen cooking or doing something, and he'll come up right behind me and just as hard as he can whack me right in the rear end. And I turn around, he's looking up at me with his two front teeth growing. He says, throw me on the couch. (laughs) And I'm like, just catches me off guard. And, of course, I do. And there's tickling involved and lots of of hugging involved, and he, he loves that. Be a, let your home be a place where you can play and let your guard down. Um, and if you'll pay attention to the things kids say, home is the most entertaining place there is. It is. There, there was a, a little girl, uh, I heard a story, she, she was playing with her dollhouse, and her mom walked in to play with her, and she said, which, which doll can I be? And the little girl looked up at her and said, the one that does the dishes. Another story, there was a little boy and his dad, they were playing catch, and the dad had this throw, and he, he threw it, it just sailed over the kid's head, horrible throw. He said, I'm so sorry, he said, that was a horrible throw, buddy, and the kid just stopped and looked up at his dad with this grin, he said, that was a wonderful throw, daddy, and then he turned around, he kind of takes two steps, getting the ball, and he, he turns back around, and this time, a little more serious, he says, dad, when we say something nice, even when we don't mean it at all, that's called being polite, Right? Don't forget what Psalm 127 says. It says, children are a gift from the Lord. It goes on to say they're a reward from him. I love this next part. Children born to a young man are like arrows in the warrior's hands. How joyful it is for a man whose quiver is full of them. It says children are like arrows. You may not have thought about it like that, but when when your children are, are being raised and they're gone before you know it, it's like an arrow leaving a bow. It's like they're there, and they let it go, and all of a sudden, they're, they're gone. 
And if you have kids or you have grandkids around, maybe nieces or nephews that you're raising, make sure your home is a shelter from life storms because when, you, when it's that, it demonstrates love. Make sure your home is a learning center for life, a place to convey values. But make sure that your home is a place to play. Make sure it's a place that they want to come back to. Fourthly, make sure that your home is a launching pad for service. Make sure it's a launching pad for service. Now, you may not have ever thought about your family like that, but did you know that serving together creates a bond like nothing else when, when your family serves together? In fact, there's the guy in the Bible named Paul in the New Testament wrote a lot of letters to the churches. He wanted to show the Corinthian church a role model for family, and that's the kind he chose. He picked a, a family that was serving, and this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 15 and 16. He says, you know that the family of Stephanus were the first believers in southern Greece, and they have given themselves to the service. Say service. They've, they've given themselves to the service of God's people. They're serving together. He says, I ask you, brothers, to follow the leading of people like these. Like, use these people as an example, this family who's serving, and anyone else who works with them and serves with them. And he's saying, when you look at your family, view them as a launching pad for service. We, we have so many examples around here, and, and I, I could go around this room and the people who serve on Thursday night and just, just talk about it until probably the sun went down, about how many families, but a couple of them are, are Tammy and Andy Forrester. They're ushers, and you probably saw them when they came in today. Yeah, they, they've been serving a long time, and they do it together. I, I think about Nick and Megan Harris around here who run the coffee shop area, and they have people that serve under them, and they serve in, in Bridge Kids and Men's Group. I think about Luke and Sandra Pennington. You probably saw a really tall guy waving at you in the parking lot when you came in. Anybody see him? That was Luke. And, you know, he, they, they do so much around here. Then there's people that work on staff here. And what I love about that is their spouses come alongside and serve too. Luke Sanders serves in men's group. His wife's on staff, serves right along with her. I think about Megan Havery. You saw Gage up here. She serves in Bridge Kids, and she has kids of her own. I think about the, the families that come together and they serve together. And there's so many more that I could name. And there's a bond in these families because they have something in common besides just a regular day-to-day -day life. They are giving themselves to God and they view their home as a launch pad for service. And Paul, when he was writing the Corinthian church, he recognized this guy's family because he had experienced what happens firsthand when a family serves. I don't know if you remember the story, but early in Paul's ministry um, in the Bible, we read where him and a, a fellow minister named Silas, they were imprisoned for preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had been beaten. They were in the, the shackles, and they begin to express this attitude of thanksgiving rather than bitterness. It, it's amazing what happens. Long and short of it is there's this atmosphere of praise, even though they're beaten and, and stripped and hung in shackles. And God sends this great earthquake. And when all the dust settled, the jailer offered to take him home. And it, it was amazing how the story goes. But I just want to read a little bit of it here in Acts 16. It says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in this jailer's house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took him and washed their wounds. They began to serve him. Then immediately he and his whole household were baptized. It says the jailer, it says he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his whole household. His whole household as a family began to serve Paul and Silas. They saw their home as a, a launch pad for service. And when they did, God served them. There's a unification that happens when you have a husband and a wife and kids or, or whatever family dynamic it looks like for you. 
Maybe you're a single parent and you have your kids. Serve together. Do it. This is what God says in Romans chapter 12, verse 13. He says, when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. I love how it says that, you know, don't argue about it. Don't let it hit you upside the head and go, I really don't want to give right now. And then later on we feel bad. And then he says, no, I already have your home to a place culturally inside where, where when a need comes up, boom, you're already ready. That's different. He says, always be ready for people that are in need. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Pastor Jim says that his wife, Kim, has always been better at this than him. And he said uh, in the days of community church in Virginia when they were pastoring there, uh, his wife told their son, Andrew, I want you to go and find a single military person and invite them home for lunch. And so Drew goes and finds this young woman <laughs> who's a lieutenant uh, in the Navy, and he invites her home for lunch. She sees Drew. She saw he played on the praise team, and, and she decides to go. I'm sure it was probably a little weird at first. But I love how Drew, he went right after the woman. You know, you thought he'd gone after a man. No, that wasn't Drew. He goes right after the woman. He comes home and introduces her to the family. The girl gets to looking around, and she looks at Drew and says, you didn't tell me you were the pastor's son. And so on goes this relationship. Before you know it, they're friends. And later on, if you know the story, it ended in marriage. Why? I'm not saying if you invite somebody home for lunch that that's going to be the man or woman of your dreams and all of a sudden you're going to get married. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that God used it in this particular situation. Um, Galatians chapter 6 says that when we have the opportunity to help somebody, we should do it. I love this part. Listen, church. But we should give special attention to those who are in the family of believers. And I just want to tell you, if you're a believer today, don't forget that you're in a bigger family than just the physical. You have people around you spiritually that can lift you up in prayer. You have people around you who can help meet a genuine need. You're not alone. That's why our Connect cards are so important. And we, we talk about filling them out every week and, and filling them out. There's places to put your prayer request on there. There's boxes to check for next steps. And I want you to know, we, we get the email every week for all the needs. And it's, it's not everybody, but it's a, it's a group of people that pray. And your prayer requests are on there. And there are people every week lifting you up. And sometimes that's the only way we find out about, about certain needs that you have. But I want you to know that if, if you, you are a believer, that you are a part of a bigger family than you even realize. And God says, I love you. And God says, I'm surrounding you, not only with himself, but with people that can love you and show you his love. So as we go through this Thanksgiving week, I want you to show gratitude to God. Not just give him the thin thank you. But I want you to actually use and optimize the gift that he gave you. The, the lady, when she gave me the shirt, she knew I loved it the most and was grateful for it the most when I wore it. So I want you to take the family that God's given you, and I want you to do your very best to make it a shelter from life's storms, to make it a learning center for life. And for crying out loud, make it a place to play. Smile. Wrap your arms around your kids. Dance with your wife. I don't care if you can't dance. Dance. Do things that are fun together. And finally, make your home a launch pad for service. I believe that when we do these things, that our families become stronger. Our families become more united. And we show God that we're so grateful for what he's entrusted us with. Amen? Because I'm going to say this last thing, and then we're going to pray. Our church will never be stronger than the families that make it up. It's not. Because when you get in here, guess what? We're just a representation of families individually. 
that are coming together. And when we come together with weak families, then we're just weak collectively. But when we come together with strong families, and then what we do in this room is just an overflow of what we're already doing in life, then we become strong as a church body. And I believe we become more effective at what God has called us to do. And I believe he can speak through us to people that need him. I believe he can minister to people through us, to the people that need ministering to. We, we don't just become a group of people that sit in chairs and hear some great music and listen to me talk for 30 or 40 minutes. But we become a church body that is doing what Jesus intended the church to do when he told his disciples, when I leave here, I want you to do something more than just sit around. I want you to make disciples. I want you to minister to people. I want you to be the church. And I believe it starts with the family. Can we pray together? Lord, thank you so much for every family in this room. Thank you for every father. Thank you for every mother. Thank you for every grandparent, every aunt and every uncle. Thank you for every single person that has influence in the life of a child or another person within the family unit. And God, I just want to speak right now to the struggles that are going on in families. I don't want to sit here and assume that we can just preach a nice message and we walk out and everything's fine. There, there's struggles in marriages. There's struggles in relationship. There's struggles individually that's contributing to marriage factor, to the home factor. And Lord, I just, I just speak healing right now. I speak, God, I, I ask for wisdom according to the book of James. It says we can ask for it, anybody who lacks it. And as the, as the lead pastor of this church, I'm, just, I'm speaking blessing and of wisdom, Lord, into each husband, into each wife. God, the areas that, that are just kind of hidden in the dark, that we, we, don't, we don't even realize is contributing to damage and dysfunction, I pray you bring it to light. Not for the point of embarrassment or anything like that, but just to the point that we can recognize it and be self-aware and begin working on it. I pray, I pray for truth. I pray for humbleness. I pray for sincerity and genuineness there's hard conversations to be had, God, I pray you have them. And I pray you give the husband and the wife the strength to have them. I, I pray for, for strength in marriages, God. I pray for strength in families, Lord. In Jesus' name. God, I pray for every husband in this room that they'll stand up and be the man and the leader of the home. Not, not as some slave driver, not as some overlord, but to do like, like the Bible says and be like Christ. To lead like Christ, who loved his bride, the church, so much he was willing to die for it. That kind of man. Lord, I, I pray that kind of, of mentality go into each man, that they would understand that they are to love their wife and lead their wife by a godly example and cherish her and love her to the point that they love her more than they do their own self. That they'd be willing to die, physically die, if that's what it took. To see her as precious. To see her as a gift that you have entrusted to them to lead diligently, not to blame her, but to take responsibility for the health of the home and begin to lead in a godly way. I pray that for every husband and every man, every father in this room. God, I pray for the wife. Lord, that she would look at her husband as the leader of the home, as he begins to lead in a godly way. I pray for every wife that, that they would serve their husband in such a way that honors you. Not to be a slave. You, know, you never meant that but to serve together, to come by his side and to lead the family together. 
I pray for every child, every, every strained relationship when it comes to the kids and the parents. God, that you would just heal those things. God, I pray that the parents would begin to take the responsibility right now, not to take the responsibility for the kids' bad actions, but to take the responsibility of love, to love their child regardless of where they are, regardless of the decisions they've made, to lower themselves and to love their kids like you love us. I feel like I need to pray these things, God, because I feel like there's so much sometimes to get through before we can get to a, a level ground to start looking at how we need to grow forward. Don't, don't let us go forward just kind of like a, a flame in a pan where we're real hot about it right now, but in a week's time, the, it'll, it'll kind of wear off. Lord, I, I pray that you dig into the roots and the causes of the issues that we have, that we would come clean with it, that you would cleanse us, that you would make us better. And that when we come to the table, we've got a new us to offer our spouse, a new us to offer our kids. It always is going to start with you. It's always going to start with your healing in us. And we recognize that. And I just pray that over every single person in this room for the whole purpose, God, of giving our lives to you and you making us stronger, stronger families. So that when we come into a room like this or when we operate as the church, wherever we are, God, that we are bearing your name with excellence and that when people outside, when they see our church and they see the love that's here, they recognize us as yours. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray that. Can we say amen together?